Well, good morning again. Uh, we're continuing our study in 1 Timothy. If you would, turn to page 993 in the Pew Bible. Turn to App Bible on your iPads, iPhones, Kindles, uh, Nexuses, tablets, whatever. Or what other page it is in. And it's actually, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 2, the last part of verse 2, through 10. And it says, teach and urge these things. If, you want, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people, who are deprived in mind and deprived in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and perceive themselves with many pangs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we listen to your word, Lord, may you speak through me. May it not be my words, but your words. May you open up our hearts to hear what you need us to hear. May we be focused upon you during this time and take to heart what your word says. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was writing to Timothy, and he says, Teach and urge. Two very strong words. He wanted Timothy to teach God's word. He urged Timothy to stay faithful to the doctrines of the faith. That's why he says teach and urge these things. Not just teach, not just expound upon, but teach and urge these things. That if anyone teaches a different doctrine, you see our doctrine is the word of God. It's the foundation of our faith. Doctrine is what tells us and explains to us what God's word is, what God is doing, who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and so much more. You see, doctrine is kind of a big word, because then we have theology, which is basically just the study of God. But you see, that's where we get to know and learn and understand more about who God is. You see, if we don't study about things, we don't know about them. How many of you in here know about quantum physics? <laughs> yeah. Now, if you studied about quantum physics, would you know about quantum physics? Probably still not. <laughs> no, probably not, but maybe if we had that type of mindset. You see, the things we study about are the things that we know. If I was to ask who, um, uh, what was that show? Oh, the Real Housewives of New York. If anybody knew who somebody on that was. I, I don't, I never watched that show. I was scared of them. <laughs> they scared me. Or um, Survivor. Isn't there a new Survivor on? I think so. See, I, you guys are doing so great, you don't know about those things. <laughs> but the things we study about, who knows arithmetic? Right? We studied it. We were, huh? No, I'm not doing that today. <laughs> Hopefully they're losing. Sorry. Um, go Dallas. Um, anyways, way off track. 
we're starting to track down those rabbit holes. It's the foundation of our faith. The more we learn about who God is, the more we'll know and understand who he is. So then there will be those times where, you know, there's people all around this world that their sole purpose is to deny who Christ is, to deny what the Bible says, to deny everything on who we believe in. You see, anybody that says that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, did not born of a, is not born of a virgin, did not die on the cross, did not live a sinless life, was not resurrected from the dead, is lying. It's a false teaching. It's false religion. You see, and I, was, I read something yesterday, and I was really shocked. But at the same time, it didn't surprise me because you hear about so much of this. We need to have unity in religion. We need to have a peacefulness across all religions. We should all come together. And in a Christian church in Washington, D.C., they had Muslims in there praying and a Muslim preaching. And it shocked me for sitting there thinking for a minute that we could have somebody preaching a false doctrine, a false God, in a church that should know who the true one living God is. But you, because you see, we become so wishy-washy about our faith, about knowing what truth is. When somebody says that they talk about Allah, we're like, oh, that's talking about God. Allah is their word for God. Their God is not our God. He is somebody different. He's not the true one living God. So sometimes we hear when people begin to deny who Christ is, one of our reactions, and mine was this, and sometimes it still is, I get mad and upset. I want to yell and say, are you just dumb? No, Jesus is who he said he is. He is the living son of God. But you see, our first reaction shouldn't always be about wanting to be argumentative. Because maybe they have questions that we need to hear. Maybe it's not so much that they're denying who Christ of the Bible is, but maybe they're denying the Christ that we've been living out. Because you see, sometimes our lives are not exactly lined up with who Christ really is. So he says, and teach different doctrines and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes our lives as Christians don't line up with the true teachings of Christ. We don't do what he asked us to do. We don't love him like he's asked us to love him. We don't treat others like he treated them. We just kind of go about doing our own thing. Wanted to be our own people, our own sect. But that's not what Paul was telling Timothy to do here. That according with godliness. You see, when we talk about who Christ is, we're going to talk about what godliness is. Because when we look at Christ, he is God incarnate. He is the true living God who came and walked this earth. He's not just a person. He wasn't just somebody that became a Messiah. He is the Messiah. And that's where sometimes you'll hear religions and you'll even hear churches, they'll talk about that Christ is a God. But Christ is not a God. He is the God. They change little terms, little words to make you think what you're hearing is right. But in reality, they're trying to lead you astray. We've got to be careful about that. In fact, in other doctrines in the Bible, it talks about wolves and sheep clothing. There's people that want to turn us away from who the truth is. You see, what happens is those people get puffed up. We get puffed up as Christians, too. We think we're the smartest, that we know it all. 
I'll tell you this, there's a lot of false religions out there. They do a lot better job teaching their beliefs than we as Christians ever could or ever do or ever have. They know more about what they believe in a month than what we do in our whole lives. Why is that? I'll never understand it. If we have the truth, yet we decide not to follow the truth, we decide not to study the truth, we decide not to live the truth. Maybe we're the ones that are puffed up and conceited. And maybe we don't understand anything. I'll tell you this. I've studied the Bible. I went to school to learn about the Bible. I don't know much about the Bible. There's a lot in here. But every day, I love it when I can open it up. And I'll let you, just this week I started John again. There's a good place to start when you're just reading the Bible. But I've read John umpteen times. And this time, though, usually I'll read a chapter at a time, and then I'll kind of sit back and I'll write in my, my devotional, and I'll just kind of write out what the Lord spoke to me. And usually I can read the whole chapter. But this past week, I started reading 1 John. I couldn't get past the first few verses. Because it just, it just hit me. All of a sudden, I've read it so many times that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word is God. I sat there for a second. I'm like, I've read it a hundred times. And, I, and I've studied it. I know all about what it's talking about. But it just hit me. Do I really understand what I'm holding in my hands? Do I really understand who Jesus was? He was the living he is the living Word of God. And that from the very beginning, before the beginning, the beginning, at the beginning, He was there. That takes us back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Do we know? Are we able to hear when a man stands behind the pulpit and opens up the Bible and they begin to preach, do we know when they're teaching the truth or when they're trying to lead us astray? One thing that gets me upset nowadays too, is as we read, he says, he is puffed up with the conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived in the truth. That happens so often. There's just some people that love to hurt people. There's some people that love to get into a place and just cause dissension. There's so many churches across this country that they started out strong. They'll have a group of 100 people and then dissension will come in. They'll fight by it. Oh, that was a little country there. They'll fight about the color of the chairs, the color of the walls. And then all of a sudden they split. So you would think you'd have a church of 15 and a church of 50. No, typically what happens is you have a church of 15 and everybody else just quits going. It's what happens when we allow that to come in because we don't know when it's happening. But what's worse is then they go into this imagining that godliness is a means of gain. 
there's a prosperity gospel out there that tells you that if you just follow who God is, you come to church, you do your best, you'll be rewarded. You'll get all these riches that Jesus talked about in the Bible. You'll become rich beyond measure. You'll just have all that you want. Well, whenever I read the Bible, I never read where I get all that I want. In fact, Christ himself said, the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. The one who holds the world in his hands, who put all the stars in the heaven, who is the king of kings, when he came to earth, could only lay his head on a rock. When he sent his disciples out, he didn't say, here's all the money you need for your trip. He said, just take what's on your back, take your staff, and go. He said, your needs will be met along the way. He didn't say, here's the money to meet your wants. You see, godliness doesn't bring us gain in this world. Godliness doesn't bring riches of this world. And see, that's why Paul went on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But before we really think about what that is meaning is, what is godliness? What is godliness? We hear that word that, and in fact, I've heard this saying since I was a wee little lad. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You must be content with what you have. And okay, but what about godliness? What are we talking about? Is godliness just being a good person? Is it just being a moral person? Is godliness coming to church every Sunday? Is godliness being in the house of God whenever the doors are open and sometimes when the doors are not? What is godliness? I think that we have a weird sense of what godliness is. In fact, Timothy, in Timothy, Paul writes about godliness 11 times. So it's something that's on the top of his mind. But if we think about what it is, it involves having the mind of Christ. It involves doing and obeying the Father. Doing what the Father has called us to do. Jesus said time and time and again, I come not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He was trying to be, he was obedient to the Father. Godliness is also, too, telling people about who Christ is. It's about sharing the story of Christ. Godliness is helping those in need. Godliness is about loving the unlovable. That's a hard one. But when we think about that one for a second, we were all unlovable at one point in time. I was a da- dirty, dirty, rotten sinner. I didn't deserve the love of Christ. I didn't deserve his mercy. I didn't deserve his grace. But he saw past my sin. He saw past who I was and to who I could be. He loved me so much that he died for me. He sacrificed himself for me. Godliness is abstaining from sin. 
that's a hard one sometimes because we think about all the different sins that there are, and I'm not going to name them because I'll forget one. And you'll think, whew, he didn't say my sin, so I'm good. But sin is sin, and sin is what Christ died for. And being godly is abstaining from sin. doesn't mean that we're not going to, but it means we do our darn best to try and not do it. It means we do all we can to run away from it, to flee from it. And then when we do, we've got to be faithful to confess it. We have to admit it. We're not perfect. Whenever we think we are, that's when we fall the hardest. But what is contentment? Well, it's being happy with what we have. Because there's always going to be a nicer home, a newer car, a nice pretty boat, motorcycles, snowmobiles, money, more money, and even more money. And I, again, I read another article. And it was talking about the gap between the haves and the have-mores. Not about the have and the have-nots. Because we always hear about that. So I was really interested in this article. And so I read it, and I couldn't believe what they were talking about. It was talking about those with nine figures. So hundreds of millions of dollars, right? They're not the richest anymore. There's 16,000 families, and I was shocked that there were 16,000 families, that have billions of dollars. And they were talking about, it's not just the regular jets that are selling anymore, but it's the multi-million dollar, you know, customized jumbo jets. I'm like, jeez. And we read about that and we're like, man. Wouldn't it be nice to have my own 747? Customized, decked out, maybe a bowling alley in the back. You know, guy can dream, right? Have your own yacht with a helipad. And they were, they were showing these, I'm just like, geez. And it just shocked me for a second saying, wow, there's a gap between the haves and the have-nots, or the have and the have-mores, so you've got to figure that the haves want what the have-mores have, so what are they going to do to get there? And then all the people that are just normal like us, we don't have yachts and our own airplanes and all this other stuff. We read that and like, man, wouldn't that be nice? Could you imagine that? And I was sitting there thinking, what would nine figures be? And I was like, okay, so there's hundred. There's hundred thousand, so that's million. I'm like, geez. See, what if I take two decimal places off? So do, no, there's, no. Okay, two more, no. Two. But what happens when we become uncontempt with what we have, we begin to forsake who we are. We forsake our family because we're going to chase that next promotion. We'll spend more time at work than we do at home. We'll spend more time trying to get that next dollar in five minutes with the Lord. We'll do all we can to chase what we, ha- what we want, what we think we need, and we'll forsake who the Lord has called us to be. You see, there is people all throughout the history of this world where they weren't content. They weren't content with what they have. Think about Eve. She wasn't content not eating from the fruit of that tree. She could have said no. She could have been, no, I'm good with this fruit right over here. I'm good with 
the fruit from this tree or that tree or that bush. But she wanted something that she wasn't supposed to have. And where did it lead her? She fell. Where did it lead Adam? He then fell. Think about David. He was married, was supposed to be at battle, but instead he was at home because he wasn't content with his life. So he looked across and he wanted something that he wasn't supposed to have, and there was Bathsheba. He wanted something that he wasn't supposed to have because he wasn't content with the wife he had. He longed for something else. He fell. He never was the man that he used to be. Think about Solomon. He wasn't content with one wife. He wasn't content with ten wives. He wasn't even content with a hundred wives. The guy was just glutton for punishment. I mean, one's more than enough. Guys, that's where you're supposed to say amen, but some... (laughs) Is this being recorded? Darn. Judas... He wasn't content with the money that he had, so he stole from the purse, and then eventually he sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver because he wanted more money. It was all part of God's plan. All of this was, but it it stemmed from them not being content with what they had. We've seen preachers all across this country as well that have fallen because they haven't been content with what they have. So they end up stealing from the church, going after another woman, Chasing something that they shouldn't be chasing. All because they weren't content. So when we learn to be content, we learn to be happy with what we have and who we are. And so what is our great gain? Is it the riches that we desire? Is it the, is it, what is it? It's riches. But it's not worldly riches. Man, the riches that we, that great gain... We become at peace with ourselves. We can begin to grow in our relationship with the Christ. It's a spiritual gain. It's nothing that anybody can see, but it's when you're happy with having little. And I'm not going to lie, it's tough being content. Yeah. I want a new car. I'm tired of driving an old truck. So, but it's paid for, and I'm I'm really happy about that. But you know, it's getting older. It takes a while for it to heat up. The two back windows, the kids decided to break, and so they, you know, and so I was looking at a new truck, well, actually a newer truck. I was like, ooh, it's so pretty. It was, it's, it's a red, I really don't like red, but it, it was a pretty red, F-250, extended cab, four-wheel drive, short box, I mean, it looked good, oh, it looked good, and it wasn't that much, and the sad thing is, and actually, if I was to pull up my phone, I may even have the picture there on my phone, because I was looking at the website just the other day, I'm just, I was like, oh. But I've got to be content with what I have. I don't want another car payment because I know what it'll do. I want to work more hours to make more money to cover the car payment. Doing that takes me away from my family. It's not worth it. So I'm going to be content. Oh, that hurts. With what I have. 
See, sometimes that's what we have to realize. If I'm not content with what I have, what will I have to give up? What's gonna, what is it going to cause me to do to get this? So our gain is we can become like Christ. In fact, if we think about what the word Christian is, at first it was a, it was a condescending term for those people that followed and aligned themselves with Christ. They were using it as a curse word for those that followed Christ. They said, oh, there's a Christian. So if we want to call ourselves Christian, are we willing to follow and align ourselves with Christ? Then Paul goes on. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Basically, you were born naked, you're going to die naked. You didn't have anything when you were born, you're not going to have anything with your dead. And I'm going to hate it when I say this, but I heard my old preacher say this so many times. You don't see a Wells Fargo truck behind a hearst or something like that. Loomis truck. You don't see an armored car behind a hearst. You don't get buried in your riches. You don't get buried with your money. You leave it behind in your bank accounts and all it is is just ones and zeros. It's just a computer code. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have our needs met, that's where we can become content. If we have a full belly, if we have clothes on our back, we should learn to be content with that. It doesn't say if you have food, clothing, or the best food, the nicest clothing, it doesn't say if you have the most food and the most clothing. It just says if you have food and clothing. With that, we should be content. I'm thankful every day that I get to eat. If you've ever fasted for a time, you're thankful when that fast is over. Because you get to eat. I love food. Food is yummy especially good food, like homemade tacos, homemade spaghetti, homemade anything, clothing. Right now, jackets are nice to have. Socks are nice to have. Warm shoes are nice to have. Think about those that don't. Yet somehow they're content with little. I took a mission trip years ago to Romania, and it was during the summer, and I was thankful that it was in the summer because the winter there gets really bad. But they lived in, when I say mud brick, I mean mud brick homes. They made their own mud bricks with straw that had gaps in them. And typically the roof was whatever wood they could find that was on the side of the road. Or it could have been cardboard or a billboard that they happened to find somewhere and tear down. Yet they were content. And they lived in, and the mission trip was to the Roma people, which are the gypsies. So they were the outcasts. They were thought of as nothing. But yet, these little boys and girls that maybe, if they were lucky, had a piece of bread that morning, or an egg for the week, they had smiles on their faces. And I was, I was shocked. I'm sitting there thinking, you don't have shoes. 
Your clothes are tattered, but they're just thankful they had bread that morning. They're thankful that, and the sad thing is, there most of the men were drunks and they would beat their kids. They're thankful maybe that morning they didn't get hit. They were content with what they had because they didn't know what they didn't have. Maybe that's our problem. We know what we don't have. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, it's not money itself that's evil. Money's just a thing. Money's just an object. But it's when you love it more than anything else. It's when you love it more than loving Christ. It's when you love it more than loving your family. It's when you chase the dollar more than you'll chase your family. That is evil. And again, we've seen so many, and you probably know people, that instead of being at church, they decided to work extra hours, not out of necessity, but out of just because they wanted to, to pay for that whatever. And it has caused many to wander from the faith. Many that you probably have known, many that I've known, they decided to chase money more than they wanted to chase God. They couldn't be content with what they had. It's okay to have money. That's what keeps many ministries across this world going. We all have to work for a living. None of us were born into some of those have more families. If you have, please share. No. <laughs> So what are we allowing in our lives that is stopping us from being content? Is it that we know what's out there? What maybe our friends have that we don't? Our neighbors? If we're honest with ourselves this morning, are we in love with stuff more than we're in love with Christ and our family? Are we neglecting our relationship with the Lord and our family to chase the next big thing? Those are questions I want to leave you with this day. They're not easy questions. It's not easy to talk about what contentment is because sometimes we think we may be content, yet there's a little voice inside of us that wants more. But if we want to become who God has intended us to become, we must have the mind of Christ. We must look to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you so much. It's not easy to be content. It's not easy to not look at what others have and wish we had it ourselves. Lord, it's an easy trap to fall into. I pray this day that you'd give me strength, that I would keep my eyes and my focus upon you, that I would look to you for my needs, 
not my wants. Lord, I pray this morning as we have a time of reflection, Lord, may we be honest with ourselves, may we be honest with you. Is there anything that we're allowing into our lives that is causing us not to be content, that is causing us to be driven away from you? Lord, may this morning, may we confess it. May we ask you for guidance and strength. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.